Hello, my name is Douglas Skelton and you are listening to Spooks. That's Spooks with a B and not with a P, because if we used a P it would be something else entirely. For today's episode, I spoke to an author who I have interviewed many, many times before and I got the feeling that she knew what the questions were before I even asked them, which was quite something because, as anybody can tell when they listen to this, I haven't prepared. But... Uh, I am, of course, talking about the absolutely wonderful, she told me before we started recording, Lynn Anderson. How are you, Liz? Very well. Uh, I'm up in the Highlands in my home village and uh, the sun's shining uh, and it's spring. So uh, I'm I'm not thinking about the plague at the moment. Uh, Put it in the back burner. Yeah, so how, how, that's, that's Mickey, by the way, you can hear in the background. I can, every yes. Time, every time I start recording, he decides he's going to stick his tuppenceworth in. So, <laughs> I swear he I, knows. I swear yeah. he knows. I don't mind. Yeah. So how, how are you faring with the, with the isolation anyway? It's been interesting, you know, I, I've been, my home village is Carbridge and I lived for many years in Edinburgh, of course, where I taught. And then when John retired, we sort of switched our regime and we moved back home uh, and went down to Edinburgh to work, uh, you know, for various, in various capacity. Um, so it's lovely to be, I'm glad I was home uh, when this happened, but our life here is um, as it is for many people in rural areas. <clears throat> um, I just write. I always wrote when I was here anyway, so I write during the day and I have a walk. I'm lucky I've got woods just opposite and I have a walk in the woods for an hour at night. And um, basically it's not... Do you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of when we used to get cut off in the big winters and that. So we all, we always had to have a supply of food anyway. We always had to have an alternative a fuel source. So we have the fire and then the power used to go out quite regularly 20 years ago. And, you know, so um, we were always prepared for being cut off in a way. And uh, so that hasn't been a big issue. And we've got a very good uh, little local shop in Carbridge who have been absolutely fantastic, you know, and they don't let people go in and buy up 20 toilet rolls you know you 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 know but they keep the stuff coming uh so you but know you, you don't have you tried to. <laughs> oh no definitely not the other thing of course is the flour uh you know because if you're making bread or making you know you need baking or anything but they've been really smart about that too when there was a shortage they just they obviously were buying in sacks and they you know the um made up bags uh, of a couple of pounds themselves and and one thing I would say that very last event I did was a, a Port Soy book festival um Port Soy for those that don't know is a wonderful wee fishing village up in uh, the northeast it's about an hour and a half from here and I was I was uh, you were there last year was it last was year the last year before year, yes. yeah you were here last year so you know the the setup and of course, they've got that. It was before the shutdown. It was probably a week or so before the shutdown. And um, we went to that fabulous ice cream shops. I'm sure you've been to Port Soy ice cream is famous. But it's also the people who run it also have this wonderful like grocer shop that I remember from Orkney that just sold everything. And outside was this giant sack, the proper full sack of tatties for sale. You know, and I wasn't thinking we were going to be <laughs> we were going to be locked down or anything like that. But I thought, oh, what an opportunity to get a you know a decent big bag of good tatties from here. So we brought that home. Little did we realise, but once we lifted it into the car, which wasn't easy, uh, realised what a good buy it was. Uh, I'm not finished it yet, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm still working my way through it. Uh, yeah, so thank you, Port Soy, for my tatties. Mm. Yeah, the Port Soy, it's a great place. I mean, that was the first time I'd oh. ever been 
last year when I, I went to the festival. It's a smashing festival, and the the the, the town itself is is is, is wonderful. It's, it was. It is. I, I still use some of the photographs that I took from that trip. Yeah, we went a wonderful walk uh, this time out. I don't know if you did it, but if you go uh, westward <clears throat> along the cliff effect. You, it's not far out, but the down below, you go down a path down. In fact, you can drive down uh, if you had a car. But um, it's it's the old swimming pool. And it's, it's you know, built into the rocks with a sort of concrete outside. And it's got a paddling area. It's obviously been a big thing in its day. Uh, and it's magic because it's this beautiful sandy floor. So stupidly, I hadn't come I'm a wild swimmer you know but I'll be I'll be there next time I'll have what I need to go in swimming uh, next time magical place yeah 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 great place so let's uh, let's talk about the the books uh, you have the I think it's the 15th uh, Rowan on the Cloud book coming out in yeah. August what's what's it called uh, the innocent dead I don't know how much you can tell tell us about it. Ah, oh, it's okay. I, I give you a, well. I can tell you where the idea you know came from. Really, um, you've talked to me about this before, and normally for me the idea comes in a sort of visual image of of uh, a scene. Uh, I don't know where it's going to go after that, and but it, that has happened for uh, the majority of the books. Uh, and uh, I was talking to my <clears throat> sister-in-law, sadly, uh, my own sister, uh, my sister died um, and her partner, my sister died a, a year or so ago, but her partner, I go to see her, still go to see her quite often. And um, there's this lo lovely conservatory at the back that our Shar and my sister, who was an artist, you know, that was where she painted. And they were big lovers of cats and they used to take rescue cats in regularly. They they would always have one, sometimes they had two, and they were they tended to be old and they had got rescued, so they didn't have a long life, you know. Um however, Christine was telling me that um she had seen one of their cats walking past the conservatory. Uh now, this cat looked totally alive, but that cat was, in fact, dead. She knew it was dead. It <clears throat> been dead for a while. Uh, and she said that she saw this cat. Whenever she saw this cat, she knew someone that she knew had died. And I thought, that's totally weird <laughs> and really a bit scary but she was quite relaxed about it. You know, it was like that, you know, you get in the Highlands, that idea of you see death coming. But then not long after that, my neighbours up in Carbridge, they live in my mum and dad's, our old, our old home, which is literally next down the hill from us. It's next door. Next door. I don't mean next door, next door, but, you know, we're in a hill and they're at the, the other side of the hill. Um, we were down having a meal with them and... Um, they told us this story about the house. Now, I should say Ellenard, our old family home, has got a reputation for it. The, yeah, definitely when my mum and dad lived there and uh, there was funny goings on in that house. But however, they said they'd heard this terrible noise in the far sitting room, which they barely used, you know. And they, they went and opened the door. And as he described it to me, it just sounded like the Twa Corbys. They went into the room and they turned round and here is this pair, this pair of uh, crows sitting on the back of the sofa, staring at them as if, why are you in our room sort of look, <laughs> you know? And then they, how did how could you get them out? Because they didn't want to go out, you know, and there was a great deal of faffing and everything. And they had to call for help and finally got them out the window. And it was a sort of comic, so I sort of imagined uh, an opening. And, and this is essentially about a woman who, as a child of 11, her, her pal in the street disappeared. 
I was never found. Uh, she'd obviously been abducted, or they think, but they never. But that was forty-five years ago, uh, and then they. Um, I'll not spoil it by telling you a body is found uh, because I, I fancied that whole whole business of of looking at a past crime, but with today's forensics, you know, um, and when they find the body, obviously I can do that. But I used that opening scene. I just wrote the opening scene and there was a woman in it and she'd had both these things happen to her and she knew that something was going to happen. And of course, then what happens is they find her pal that uh, of oh, forty-five years ago. So that's the background to the the innocent dead. Uh, one other thing, though, it's worth saying because I wrote the opening scene and I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it actually, really. And then I went to I was asked to go to the Raplock Women's Cafe Recovery Cafe. Now, I don't know if you know about recovery cafes, but they happen all over. Certainly, I've been, uh, this is the first recovery cafe I've been, but I know that last time I was in, uh, went to Berliny to visit, there was a recovery cafe going on in there. And, and it's really to get people together who have dealt with very difficult issues uh, and it's to support one another to come out of them. You know, so I was asked to go to this recovery cafe in Raplock, and you know Raplock is in Stirling, yeah, uh, yeah. so you know within sight of the castle. And uh, they were reading Driftnet, which is the first of the Rona books, which has just been republished. But they they were reading it, and um, I went to see them through the library service, and it was amazing. These women were just amazing and they read me out they were had been writing poetry they were trying to work through the you know the things they had to deal with and they'd been encouraged by the uh, the library workers they had written poetry they'd written short stories and it was just this amazing atmosphere of support uh, and it they gave me the inspiration for the story because of course when Karen uh, you know finds out that they found the body of her pal, she's got to try and revisit the world she was in there because uh, she she lost her ability to to basically tell the police anything. I mean, she was just in such a state of shock. So, um, you know, talking to these women and incidentally, what came out of that last year? Because obviously you're so ahead. I mean, when you think when the book was written and when it comes out, there's quite a space. Uh, and one of the ladies, uh, maybe two of the ladies, came to the Bloody Scotland last year and they helped out at Bloody Scotland. I had said to them, do you realise Bloody Scotland is there for you, you know, as much as it is for visitors? And a lot of people don't realise that in Stirling. I think it's improving. We're trying to really engage uh, so they came along and became helpers. So uh, there you go, a full circle. So, the, I mean, Rona is obviously a forensic scientist. Mm. There is a, naturally, there is a strong thread of forensic science in the books. How do you research that? Uh, it's very, it's a fascinating area that I, I love when I start a book. So, um what I do is I write the scene or or I prepare to write the scene and then based on what the scene is going to involve, then I contact the experts. I mean, I've got lots, I've got my notes from when I did uh, the diploma course in, in forensic medical science at Glasgow and I always go back and look at them, but actually to talk to um, in detail to um, an expert. So, for instance, if we use the innocent dead as an example, because it's it's the most recent, um, the body is found in a in a raised bog area in Scotland. So, I went then to Lorna Dawson, who then sent me uh, a map of raised bogs are quite unusual. They're very very old and. They're they're not it's not just like any bog, you know. It's a very specific. It's the type of environment that you find these really really old, uh, you know, two and three thousand year old bodies in uh, yeah. preserved. 
And uh, she sent me back a map of of uh, areas. And from that map, then I decided where these two girls would have been brought up, you know, because uh, it would be within uh, within travelling distance, you know, for to the body. Um, so that's what I would do. So she would give me, she gave me a lot of information too on uh, specifics. The other very interesting thing was, you know, what, what can you really learn from what is in effect a child's body that has been in the ground in this particular type of ground for 45 years? How much can you really learn from it? And I, I, I just got in touch with Professor Sue Black, who's fabulous, and she came back and we had a great chat and um, it was just the wonderful way she described certain things. Um, uh, can I give you an example? <clears throat> when you're talking about DNA, uh, you you can find DNA, but it's almost she she described it as it being bits of it's there, but it's like a it's like a jigsaw. It's it's laid out and it's not fitted together. So you you can see that it's there, but it's not. It's not come to. I've done. I've said this better in the book. I have to say, but it, it, it's like yes, you don't know you how it fits. In a book, don't you? <laughs> you get more time to work out the words, and you can then you write them again. But it when when it's put that way, you you get a much better feeling for the material. Um, and then I went. I also contacted James Grieve, Professor James Grieve. Well, he's Emeritus Professor now, but um, because I was interested in how you would deal with, what would be the difference when it was a child's body? And of course, something I hadn't really thought about, that you would bring in a doctor, you would bring in a pathologist who was a pathologist that dealt with children's bodies you know, uh, uh, to to help because, they, you know, they have, it's a different sort of a thing. You would have that. Now, okay, you can read as much as you like and as wide as you like, but actually you could miss some of these things. So it, uh, it's great fun doing the research, a great fun. You have to remember, though, at the end of the day, you actually have to write it. You know, it's not all fun about finding out. You know, you do have to finally get down to. Yeah, it's it's really interesting that aspect of it. Mm. Do, do you find that in the research that you actually know a lot more than you use because you just use what you need uh, for for the story? But you, it's the tip of the iceberg, as I described it the other day during another interview. Do you find that as well? There's a lot more to it that, that you don't have to use. Absolutely. And I, and I think that that, that uh, I would say for people starting off, uh, the danger is to put far too much of your research in. Like, look, I really did research this thing, you know. Um, yes. And it turns into a textbook. Uh, and... Um, I think it's important to, I mean, as a funny aside, when James Grieve, I, I, I sent him, he's he's hilarious about this, I, I sent him a, like a two or three sentences, you know, just if you imagine, you know, finding bodies on top of Cairngorm in a storm and, uh, in, and they're dead and they're in this shelter. And then what I get back is essentially at least two full pages and... <laughs> Because he loves it because, you know, I say, well, what, what could you find out about how they died? And the te you, and he just loves it because, of course, it's, it, he says he says he when he was overseeing um, students, you know, thesis and things, he, he could he could have chosen some of my little sort of pieces and just given and said, OK find out everything you can about this, you know, use it as a sample, as an essay. And he, he comes back with an essay, you know, mm -hmm. and he, and because he goes into fine detail. So it's fantastic. But what you've got to do, just as you say, it, it's, it's not a textbook. So you've got to extract the things that you know are really vital and also keep it 
human, keep it about the character, keep it about the, um, but just scintillating it in order to make it authentic. There are certain things that they speak to you about that just makes it authentic. I'll give you an example about that. Uh, one of the early books, uh, I think it was Easy Kill, and near the beginning, they, uh, they're called to one of these, a skip fire out in Glasgow. It's actually one of these containers when you're going to get rid of your rubbish now, you know, it's a big yeah. fill, you know, with a lid, it's not a skip. Um, and it's car it's cardboard stacked in it. And um, there's a soldier who's gone AWOL and he's at the back. He is going to sleep at the back of it. So he's, he's he was sitting up at the very back of it. Uh, against the skip and you know because the cardboard was warm I mean he was warm in there <clears throat> and they find it burnt out in this poor soul poor soul in at the back and uh, um, <laughs> Jen Miller Dr Jen Miller who was one of my early uh, uh, I met her in the diploma course she she works down I think it's Exeter now but um, when I was talking to her about that um she used to, she said to me, that's really weird. I've done, you know, I've been on a site like that, you know, with the cardboard. And of course, the bit of the body, which is above the cardboard, is very badly burned. In fact, okay, I hope you've no squeamish people out there, but the head explodes, <laughs> the head explodes you see. And the bit below the cardboard is because it's the air can't get into it. It's, it's less burned. And... Um, she said, and the the really tricky thing is, you've you've got to actually scrape the walls. You know, you've got to collect oh. everything. I know, I know. But she said, everybody forgets that you're out there, and and there, you know, you're a woman, and there are no toilets, and you can't just go against a wall. And everybody forgets that. And the other thing is that, regardless of what you're doing, you get hungry. You know, because you're there, you can be there for 24 hours, you know, 12 yeah. hours anyway. And so I, when I wrote my scene, uh, I had Chrissy, of course, and Chrissy, you know, she got the job of taking it off the inner walls, you know, as Rona dealt with the body. But that did, doesn't stop her after so many hours getting really hungry. And she calls over a, a young uh, uniform guy who seriously does not want to get near this thing and she, asked, and she asks him she tells him she sends him off to get her a double smoked sausage supper <laughs> because she's so hungry and actually that came from you know Jen talking about I mean that it was very authentic because she said you know you have to stop sometime and you're starving and there's you've got to send folk off for food and you know so, yeah. and you have to have humour as well because you're dealing with very dark, dark things. But you can't survive like now. The, I mean, yeah. the humour that has. I mean, I was watching you with those big ears on, and I now know that your ears have grown amazing. <laughs> and your hair. It's grown yes. really long, but it's got big bald patches. I, yes, it's. it's... It's the stress, Lynn. It's the stress. They say they say as you get older, your ears grow bigger. And you know, I've I've aged during lockdown. I mean, it really has has aged me. Really. Well, I hope that that's not true because <laughs> my my dad had very big. They were known as the Mitchell ears, and you know, when anybody ever got born into our family, there was always a severe worry that they might have inherited the Mitchell ears. So. Um, yeah, if that's true, I'm a bit worried that I might end up looking like you. You're worried? How do you think I feel? <laughs> <laughs> but just, just to make it clear, you know, no matter what Lynn Anderson says, men do not go and pee up against a wall out in the open. We cannot do that. <laughs> it's just not done, guys. That's all. Hold it in, okay. for goodness sake. Okay. Hold it in. Okay. We're Scottish. Yeah. We can do it. <laughs> So let's uh, let's talk. The the the, the last uh, Rona book was Time for the mm -hmm. Dead, 
yeah. and it took her up to Sky, and she was, she, she, you know, she was going through a hard time. But you introduced a new character into, into into the books, um, a, a real life character. Do I you did. want to tell us about Blaze? Oh, I do because. Uh, I'll tell you a bit about Blaze in Time for the Dead and how that came about. Yeah. Um, it was the February of the... I usually start thinking about the next book and trying to get an idea around February and I'm supposed to deliver it in November. Um, and I was over in Sky visiting a friend of mine, uh, Steve, uh, who lives outside Portree, off-grid, I have to say. And he has these two dogs, one of whom is Blaze Blaze and a wee uh, brother, Luch, who has much to learn, um, but is learning. He has, he has uh, another nickname. <laughs> well, you can say it if you like. But um, I was over visiting them and they, they stay out at a place, uh, uh, Ace Target Sports, which if you get a chance to go to Sky once this is all over, it's a fantastic place because... You can play softball games away up in this sort of nine uh, nine acres, nine or ten acres of birch wood and a hill, and you can learn archery, you can uh, learn how to throw an axe and all that. And um, I was over visiting them, and I got a chance to throw an axe, and I followed all the instructions from Matt at the centre, and I got my axe in first time. Well, that's just because I did what I was told. But <clears throat> then John, my husband, was going to have a go. And, you know, it's not about strength, I was told. And it's true, it's about how far away you are. But, of course, men think it's all about strength. So his was bouncing off and that. And I thought, well, I'm away out of here. So I went a walk. Blaze took me a walk up and through the woods. And um, at that moment, that's when the idea came because up to then, I wasn't sure if I would have Rona back. She went to Sky to recover. Uh, she was encouraged to, after Sins of the Dead, to go to Castle Bray, which is for frontline, people on the frontline, police and fire, you know, anybody on the frontline to recover if they've had a particularly difficult. But she, stubborn, she didn't wouldn't go there. And she said she would just go to Sky where her adoptive parents came from and she's still got the wee cottage. They're both dead now. But uh, so she had gone over there and just to be on her own and, and sort of get her head back in the right place. And, and she's, so I wasn't sure if for the book that would follow Sins of the Dead, she might be back in Glasgow and okay. But it was that February and going that walk and I suddenly thought, uh, Blaze is an incredible scenting. Well, all dogs do have an amazing scenting ability, but um, he just kept leading me on, and you know, as if he was taking me somewhere, and and it just gave me an idea. So, I fictionalised it at the opening of Times of the Dead, where Rona is taken by the dog, but the dog is intent on taking her to a specific location, which is a sort of uh, an opening in the wood uh, where. Uh, she realises fairly quickly something's happened there because um, something that involved humans and possibly an attack, there's blood, she finds various things there. And uh, that's the beginning of her trying to to work out what that is. And bearing in mind, she's not convinced that she still has her skills that she had up to this point because she has been very traumatised. By, so it's a sort of way back by uh, focusing on this. And it runs, there is a group of medics who have uh, come back from Afghanistan and and they are, uh, they are on Sky uh, um, to climb and walk and, you know, in the, in the wilds, basically, uh, hopefully regain their, in a similar way. Uh, feeling to 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 Rona. Uh, so it works between Sky and it also you there's um a first person narrative from Afghanistan and through that you learn why they really are on Sky. Um yeah. And that I did the Afghanistan piece 
I mean, I used to live in the very north of Nigeria in a very remote area. Um, basically, you were just you you know you had Niger, you had then you were you weren't that far from the Sahara Desert, and um, in fact, in the nearest big city, which was a fair bit away, they had the big camel market, you know, for the crossing of the Sahara back and forward. And so I was never going to be able to do research in Afghanistan, but I was very familiar with a lot of the terrain and the and the climate, and most of all the creepy crawlies and the the snakes and the scorpions because <laughs> I'd lived with them all and added to that the dust storms you know because we we used to get the dust storms where we were uh, so I thought I with a lot of research I did a lot of research with uh, on the documentaries and uh, writings about uh, being out in Afghanistan as as a medic you know so so that was it. So I loved the the dog. This is doing the research around a dog and their fabulous scenting capacity. They were our first forensic scientists, basically. You know, I mean, they could sniff out things uh, that we can now discover in different ways. But uh, and I love there was one wee quote which I've used later. You know, if you put a spoonful of sugar in your tea. Chances are you, you might be able to smell that it's sweet, you know, that you have sweetened it. Now, if you put a spoonful of sugar into an Olympic-sized swimming pool, a dog will know it's in there, which I just think is amazing. So I had a lot of fun doing my research. And of course, Blaze is a well, an incredibly well-trained dog. But just leading on from that, and I don't know if you know yet, Doug, but um, I decided I wanted to, I spoke with Steve, his owner, and he calls him dad in his writings. But So I've done a book called Blaze Dog Detective. Yes, I'm still uh, looking at the cover just now while we're talking. <laughs> yeah, well, and what I just thought it was he's a great character. Oh. And actually... In Time for the Dead, uh, Luch had just arrived. So he was a tiny wee puppy. And so he appears briefly at the end of Time for the Dead. But, you know, I've, I've sort of experienced Luch, you know, growing up a little bit and trying to be trained. And if anybody tells you that two dogs are remotely alike, I mean, you know, it's like, if you have kids and, you know, I had three and I thought I brought them all up the same. But the truth is, they're all just distinct characters. And the the, the contrast between this wise, wise sage place and this, this look is, I mean, they couldn't be further apart, you know. But it, what a great combination. It's like a... You know, these great crime duos, DL and Pasco, yeah. you know, yeah. where they they hit off one another all the time. Uh, and I just thought it would be a lot of fun. And Sky is such a fantastic. I was brought up on the famous five. That idea of a little group of kids um, doing things that adults, working out things that adults were too stupid to work out was the most empowering reading, really. All those mysteries and uh, the Rillaby Fair mystery, you know, the mysteries as well as, you know, the famous five. They were just fantastic. So I had this idea, a little gang of character. Blaze would be, of course, the main one with a wee brother who wants to be a detective, but is, you know, has much to learn. A little girl, Rosa, who... Uh, in my head, I, my granddaughter, when I came up with the idea, was about 10. So uh, in my head, it was that sort of age of my granddaughter, Rosa, who's a, a Romany, a wee Romany girl who's had to come back to stay with her granny on Sky because, you know, something bad's happened to her parents. But it's not, It's uh, I won't spoil it for you, but anyway. And uh, a young... Uh, a boy a wee bit older than her who's um, a boy who knows Sky 
possibly better than Belize. Uh, and is just that bit older, which, uh, I mean, do you remember the famous five? Was it Julian was the oldest one? So he got to take them places, you know, so you need someone uh, who's able to do that. And then, of course, there's a granny. Well, I'm a granny, and this granny has a motorbike. Well, I have a motorbike. And she has, she has a sidecar as well. I don't have a sidecar. But she, yeah, Granny Beaton uh, is, you know, she has a, and of course the dogs can go in the sidecar, which you can have great fun with, you know. Uh, so, yeah, the first book, it was supposed to be out in shops. Uh, the It's called uh, The Magic Flag Mystery. And it's really about the fairy flag uh, out in uh, the castle at Dunvegan getting nicked and then they have to find it because it's so precious. Um but obviously this everything slightly fell apart when we were went into lockdown so we had a great plan to do a wee tour with the ducks and everything but um so we brought it out as an ebook initially and the cover is just wonderful it's a Bronwyn Kilgallen Gilgallen um she uh, she has a twitter handle of at planet b she does those wonderful illustrations and and big posters of it's she's just so she had never done anything like this before but we she did our cover uh front and back and uh it's it's just spectacular really we're really pleased with it and we've had super response i think we just thought we'll go ahead it's a dark time people can't get to shops but they're still reading. That isn't this wonderful. That people are really reading, and uh, it's you know it's a, it's a mystery, and it's um, but it's got dogs in it, you know. You know about that. Yes, the dogs are. He's, he's quiet now. The dogs are on the cover. I've got to say that there's there's something Scooby Doo like about this cover, and I don't know what it is. I think it's I think it's the young man. He's, he looks like a young Shaggy. He does. Do. Uh, he does, and of course, Granny has got a crystal ball. There's not a crystal ball in there. Yeah, so it's a crystal ball. They're inside the crystal ball, and the crystal ball is, uh, you know, because Sky has got a wonderful sort of feeling of the other about it, you know. There are so many places they are called after fairy this and fairy that, much like a lot of the islands. But Granny's got a crystal ball, which they call upon on occasion. But you have to be careful because the crystal ball can be very tricksy. It doesn't always tell you the truth. So there you go. But it's available in ebook. Uh, yeah. So if anybody wants to, to get it, you can certainly get it now. And, and it looks great. So that's blazed. Dog Detective, The Magic Flag Mystery. And I should say um, that uh, Lewis, I'm, I'm just going to say it, so if anybody doesn't like any any sweary words, cover your ears now. <laughs> Lewis' nickname is Wee Shite. So, <laughs> this, you did a very brave thing. Um, I don't so, mention that in the book, of course. but uh, no, Of course not. But, but no. last year, you did a very brave thing. You, you ignored the dictat that you should never work with animals. And uh -huh. when you were touring for Time for the Dead, you, t you had Blaze and uh, Lou yep. along <laughs> with you. And of course, it's nobody paid a blind bit of attention to you. No, <laughs> I think that was the most fun. You know, uh, also... Um, you know, I did a blog piece about the book as well. And when we did, when I did EIBF, of course, um, Blaze was allowed in. And he, Blaze is the first dog ever to appeal, appear at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. And he's got, I've got this wonderful picture of him. I think it's up on the blog, actually. And, you know, when you when you appear there as an author, I mean you'll know this, Doug, but other people might not know it. That you you get your photograph taken with a backdrop. Everybody gets their fo photograph taken um, in front of this, you know, lovely sort of dark blue with Edinburgh International Book Festival behind you. So there's there's there he is, please. 
And then he also had, he was at bloody Scotland. He was the first dog that was told ever allowed into the, apart from guide dogs, um, to get into the Albert Hall for the event. They were very, they both got in, they were very well behaved. Uh, but we've got this fabulous picture of him sitting. We've got two great ones. I mean, we got his picture, we put on the visitor's badge round his neck or the guest badge or whatever round round his neck. And there's a wonderful one with the two of them with Ian Rankin and um, with various other people. We've got a whole collection of everybody because he used to sit outside the, yes. the Golden Lion and everybody got their picture taken with the dogs. So maybe, maybe, maybe they'll be back next year. Oh, they'll be back probably next year. But uh, yeah, Blaze will be back as an author. Of course, won't yeah, he? Or yeah. a star of <laughs> yeah, Well, he's already a star. Yeah, he is a star. International uh, star. As is, yes, as is the wee shite. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so uh, but you know, you, you mentioned Bloody Scotland. Yeah. Um, and you're one of the, the founders uh, mm -hmm. of, of this tremendous event. And it, it must be a daunting thing to every year to have to basically start from. It's like oh, starting a new book, but you know, a fresh page um, to to organise a complete festival. You're not doing it on your own. You have you know, no, a lot of people you know, yeah. uh, involved, a lot of very capable people involved, uh, and Gordon Brown. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> and, uh, so how how do you do that? What's it? You know, how do you feel that the, you know you you've just had a, a successful festival and it. Each one tops the one before. Uh, so how do you start on, on setting up a new one? Yeah, it's interesting. Well, <clears throat> when we uh, when the festival is over, um, we have a brief meeting at the end of it just to, uh, before we all collapse, you know, and then we all head off home. But then what we try to do, we have a meeting, uh, both a board meeting and a programming meeting, uh, usually early, December and we turn it into a bit of a party as well so at that point we we sort of reminisce about what happened and everything you know we we think of all the the good stuff it's it's, it's sort of yeah bloody Scotland did it again sort of thing and uh of course <laughs> we quite often have gin left over from um our one of our sponsors so that that helps things along and when we have our programming meeting already by that stage we're we're thinking about i mean there are four writers uh four authors on, uh, who are part of the programming committee uh that's fairly unique actually to have four uh four writers on there but it it's always been our our feeling that um Bloody Scotland is not a corporate festival. It's not about corporations. It's about readers and writers. And um, we've already thought of ideas uh, most of the time. And we, we came up with quite a few at that meeting, just different little things that we might try. We, we look to build on what we've done before. But uh, Alex Green, my co-founder, always said, quirky, you want, we're Scottish. I mean, that goes without saying. It's a Scottish festival, but it's an international festival. It welcomes everybody. But it's also, it's in this wonderful location. And, and we've always tried out new things as well. Nothing is set in stone. Uh, as you know, I mean, one of the most successful things last year was the play that you wrote. Yeah. Um, yes, I do. <laughs> it was totally fantastic and the story of how that came about had gone on for it was about a year and a half before it wasn't oh, yeah. it was quite a long time because I can remember approaching you about it um I thought I hope to goodness he goes for this one and thankfully you did because well we sold out what once we sold out we put it on again we sold that we sold out three times and I could tell you we would we could have sold out again Okay, it wasn't the biggest location, but you could have gone, I mean, that could have gone in a a week at the fringe or something. I mean, it was always going to get, uh, and it was a totally fascinating thing. And what what's nice is you watch other festivals 
we all watch one another, but quite a number of our ideas, Gordon Brown's Spotlighters was a cracking idea. And there are other festivals now doing it. And I just think, good, you know, because it, it was a it brought brand new authors and gave them an audience, a big, big audience like the Albert Hall in front of headliners and able to read out their work. Uh, I just thought it was a fantastic idea. And you can see how successful it is. It's been amazingly successful uh, because it was a good idea, you know, and we just have to hope that we'll keep having, you know, good ideas. Uh, well, they're all off the wall in this programming committee. I mean, Craig, Craig, yes, yes. Craig, yeah, yeah Gordy, myself, and Abby or Mukherjee. So, yeah, uh, yeah. Pl plenty of scope for daftness yeah. in there, I can tell you. Yeah, I've got there are, there are, order, I think. Yeah. <laughs> there are good, good minds working on it. And before you know, any of Gordon's legions of fans uh, contact me, I was only joking. Uh, I, I work many times with Gordon, and uh, including the four blokes and the, the, the current thing that's going on with the Polygon website with the, the uh, serialised story. These would not have happened without Gordon's um, knack for organisation. Absolutely, and uh, he I, has I a. Sorry, I was just going to say he plays a big role in that because he's worked in you know in that that type of world for so long that you know his uh, his knowledge is invaluable. And a little story about Gordon, and he he won't mind me telling you this. When we first had the idea, Alex Gray and I. And uh, we sort of chatted to Jenny Brown, our, our agent, and Alana Knight was there as well. We had a wee sort of coffee thing uh, all together. And then, uh, you know, we knew it was a good idea, but we, we just hadn't quite got going on it yet. And um, we had a CWA lunch and uh, I stood up and talked about this idea because I was looking to see how many interested people would, you know, would go for it. And Gordon said, I'll go for that. So I met him in Glasgow. We sat and had, I had a pot of tea and he had a coffee or something, I can't remember. And uh, because he had a, a big background in, in organising big events and things like that. So we had a really good chat uh, about it. And that it was very much his input from quite early on that, you know, got, and we've been so lucky because everybody who has joined our committee has have all been huge enthusiasts of crime writing and in particular Scottish crime writing. So once you have a set of people like that, who are absolutely determined uh, to sell this to the world, you know, you're away, really. Yeah, Gordon's, Gordon's good. And we will have him on Spooks. He's got a book coming out in June. He and, has. Uh, we will have him on Spooks to talk about that closer to the time. So you say you're, you're writing uh, while you're in lockdown. Is this the 16th? Yes. Well, th this is interesting uh, because always before I've just, as I described it, I've just written the opening scene uh, and if it feels powerful enough, I know I'm off on a, you know, on a story with it. I found because I was starting really as things began to disintegrate around us all. And, you know, like everybody's got a story. I mean, my youngest, our youngest son was getting married. He's American uh, girlfriend. <laughs> that, of course, didn't happen. And all the Americans couldn't come. And it was all a disaster. Um, and the world just seemed to just be falling apart. And, and actually, at the beginning, to hear the the news about what was happening was so. I found I couldn't do that. I I couldn't work quite the same way on this one. I'm researching. Obviously, the innocent dead's been put to rest. You know, been put to rest now. Uh, yeah. I mean, I've done all the editing and that. Um, so I thought, well, I can't just sit about, I can't concentrate on 
the forming of the words into shapes and rhythms and getting that into your head. So I, I this one I've done totally differently and uh, I don't know if I'll carry on afterwards, but I had my idea and basically what I've done is I've just sort of jotted down almost chapter by chapter. So for the first time in my life, I'm doing a plan, which I oh. find quite, yeah, I'm actually doing a plan. I, I can't <sighs> tell you that I'll stick with it when I write it um, because I love a new idea coming up. But I feel I can do that. Uh, and the one I'm working on at the moment, a lot of it happens back in Orkney. So uh, I was supposed to be going up there in May, uh, but that, I've had to cancel that. I wouldn't be able to do that. But um, I've done a lot of my research just the way I was talking about. I've done some Skype calls with James and with Neve McDade, who's um, another forensic. She she works in fire mostly. Uh, so I've done all that. So I've just and I feel if I write down an idea in my head, I can write the idea down. I, I still can't physically form the words of a narrative yet I, I'm not I think I'm hoping that will happen once it all the world changes a little bit um yeah well with news that Lynn Anderson has gone over to the dark side <laughs> and <is> now planning <laughs> that, I mean I, I, I am so sh shocked uh, I bet you are <laughs> hey, you're shocked what you what do you think about me? <laughs> but at least I feel if I write, I manage to write a sort of an idea of a, of of a chapter that I've done some work. You know, otherwise I would just be tormenting myself because, uh, you know, and also the the Blaze book too is a light relief is the first of the series, so I'm already thinking about the next one, and it's a wee bit different because it's. Um, yeah, Scooby-Doo. I'm glad you mentioned that because I thought that too. Uh, I love Scooby-Doo. I totally love it. It was a sort of combination of Scooby-Doo and the Famous Five yeah. with yeah. a touch of Lassie because I loved yeah. Lassie too. So anyway, yeah, there you go. Uh, all I can hear now is, the, is, is all the, the authors, all the planners out there sitting, chanting, one of us. One I know. <laughs> oh, well, we know. There, there we have to leave it because I need to go and lie down now. I'm so stunned. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Lynn. <laughs> thanks, Lynn, for, for coming oh, along. Um, no, the, the thanks for asking me. It's out in August. Yeah. Um, if all goes well, of course. Uh -huh. um, and Blaze Dog Detective The Magic Flag Mystery is available now on ebook. So everybody get out there and have a look at it. Um, have a read. Blaze is a, is, is a great dog, uh, and so is the wee shite. <laughs> yeah. Oh, thanks very much. Right. Bye. See you soon. Thank you. That was Spooks with Douglas Skelton in conversation with crime writer Lynn Anderson. Spooks is a Houses of Steel production.